go to the Word of God this morning, would you join me in prayer, please? Father, we come to you this morning as we open your Word, ask through your Holy Spirit you would open our hearts and minds to receive. Lord, uh, we recognize that your Word is God-breathed, and as we come to it, we honor and glorify you in the reality of all that you have done, the salvation that you have brought to us. And so, Lord, our desire is to walk close to you, draw close to you, and be strengthened in our uh, resolve to, to stay close to you, Lord. We ask for your Holy Spirit to move in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I have a little more I want to say in reference to uh, an understanding of the Holy Spirit and, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and uh, I would like to uh, begin with Ephesians chapter 5 uh, this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, and I don't remember what I gave you as the, the, the verses, okay, we'll, we'll work with that. Uh, so Ephesians 5, starting with the uh, 11th verse. Paul writes, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything else, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, <clears throat> excuse me, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks and uh, always for, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. main concern out of this section of, of this passage this morning is verse 18 of Ephesians 5, where he's speaking about being filled with the Spirit. We've touched briefly on this in, in uh, a, a couple of the messages. Uh, we've talked uh, very specifically also in reference to the Holy Spirit, that he is part of that Godhead, he is a part of the Trinity, he is God the, the, in the... In the the capacity of omnipresent, everywhere at once. He is also, Jesus says, the one who comes alongside us to be our helper, to be our comforter, to be our guide, to be our teacher, so that as we read the word of God, we begin to grasp its truth. And the more we read it, the more we're able to put it together as the Holy Spirit works in us. We see things from, from a spiritual perspective. Without the Holy Spirit, the one thing I hope that you've clearly seen established is that cannot be accomplished. 
People have become scholars. I know I shared this with you before, but it's, it's, they've become scholars in the word. There's a, a whole institute, uh, I think it's, it may be still in Chicago, uh, devoted to uh, uh, language study, and they have a Greek uh, division. And it's not run by, by Christians, but they use this part of the thing that they study and work on and, and analyze and, and talk about and write about is the Bible. And as they do, they look at it as fan, you know, amazing literature, some great poetry, wisdom. Uh, they, even some of it's called wisdom literature. There's even a course in secular colleges that you can take, biblical wisdom lit, you know, wisdom literature. And part of it, it discusses the Bible. But until you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it still will amount to words written with out seeing the spiritual intent. Our eyes must be open to grasp that. The Holy Spirit must come into us to understand it, Paul says. The Holy Spirit is received at the point in time that we accept Jesus Christ. When Paul says there is one faith, one hope, one baptism, he's not talking about the baptism of immersion at that point. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the point in time of confession. So when we come into our relationship with Christ, when we confess, when we're at our point of our conversion, the Holy Spirit comes into us. And the one thing I, uh, that I wanted you to be sure you grasp is he comes into you fully, meaning there isn't, it doesn't come in stages. I'll, you know, a little bit at a time now, and, and, and I get a little more saved somehow. You know? uh, he comes into you fully, and you are fully saved. And every Christian, no select group of Christians, you realize that in some of the cults, they don't, quote, unquote, have the Holy Spirit. Only their leaders have the Holy Spirit. They come to you and say, we preach the same Jesus that you believe. Ask them, well, let's pray. And then when you pray, ask the Holy Spirit to, in, in us to enlighten our hearts. They're just about ready to leave. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, they're, the Holy Spirit is in every one of us. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event. Once it's done, it is done. It doesn't happen. You don't have to get indwelt by the Holy Spirit again. You don't have to get uh, go back and, and, you know, let's say you grow a little bit in the Lord. Some people think, oh, well, now I didn't understand that before I was saved. Now I understand this. I, I must need to get saved again. Yeah, or I need the, uh, another indwelling of the Holy Spirit now that I've got that or something. No, it's a one-time event at the point of conversion, and it's permanent. I, I, I know I've said it one way, but I want to say it another way. It's permanent. So then what is being filled with the Spirit? Because very clearly, if, uh, if you look at this sentence, you can see uh, that it's a, uh, the intent and, and the, the idea is that this is some, uh, an event that is not equated with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but something that happens. Well, we talked briefly about going through the book of Acts, how many different times it said, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Certainly on the day of Pentecost, would you assume that the Holy Spirit was an active part of that? And yet in Acts chapter 4, it says they were again filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was speaking to the Sanhedrin. Uh, you know, it's an, and yet, 
when Stephen was brought into a relationship of a, basically a deacon with the, to help serve uh, the widows, he was already one who was known to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 6, verse 3. And yet it says again while he was saying, filled with the Holy Spirit as he was speaking. Over and over and over we get this picture. And the, the, the reading here is the idea of something that is continuous. And so I, it's that, that picture. How does the, in the Holy Spirit, who is fully in us, get more in us? Well, that's not really what's the actual intent of what's being said here. I think the simplest way it was explained to me that I could grasp it was when we're asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what we're asking is to be, have our, our, our life uh, engulfed by the Holy Spirit in such a way that he's in control instead of us. Now, I know your life is just like mine because the Scripture tells us we're all the same and all have the same struggles. We might not have the exact same struggles, but we have struggles. There are sin, sin, there's sin that, uh, that we combat in our lives. There's ongoing situations and frustration. Uh, and the reason, one of the things that we need to pray for daily is God to search us, to reveal to us, and to confess the sins that we have and rest in his forgiveness and his grace. And so the reality is, is that obviously, even though the Holy Spirit fully indwells us, he does not fully control us. And so I look at it this way, as one person explained it to me. We don't get more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets more of us. And I know that may be a little simplistic, but it, it works for me as far as getting the basic idea of what we're asking for. And it's interesting, I was going through uh, a number of, of commentaries uh, uh, just wanting to see their, their, their comment on this particular verse. And I would say that most of the commentaries agree about the importance of this commandment. That the filling is an ongoing, repeated action, and it is extremely important. That without the Holy Spirit filling us, we cannot complete the things that God has called us to do, the work he wants us to do. It requires not just the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but the releasing of the Holy Spirit in us in such a way that he is in control in order for us to serve, to work, and to accomplish the things that he wants us to do. So you would find yourself constantly praying to be released, to, you know, the Holy Spirit take over, the Holy Spirit take control. Uh, there is a song written... Uh, uh, years ago about, uh, you know, getting from the front seat to the back seat and letting Jesus have the wheel, you know, uh, and, uh, right, Bob? Yeah, and, uh, uh, and so, you know, we, we, that's the idea of letting him have control. And so, uh, I wrote down here, for the purpose of serving the Lord, for serving each other, to walk within the spirit, which with or in the spirit, to grow in wisdom and understanding, to develop the fruit of the spirit, uh, to, for Christian character to develop in us, 
for the power and the strength to obey what he has told us to do, uh, to have strength over sin and victory over sin. All of this requires an ongoing, constant filling of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's what Paul is asking us to pray for here, an ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. Not, not, oh, gosh, tomorrow I've got to go to this or I'm going to go do that. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit to be a powerful witness. Nothing wrong with that prayer specifically. But this is day-to-day living here that we're talking about. There is, uh, Paul chooses, <laughs> he chooses kind of an interesting comparison here. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's all sorts of people in commentaries that go off on sections about the, 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 the worship of the God of, of wine and stuff like that and how that interplays with some of this, and it might all. But the real essence of this is just, I think it's just an issue, what's in control? Anybody who knows what happens when you drink wine to the point of excess that you are drunk in wine knows that you are no longer personally really in control. Now, I've had people argue that point with me, but I have been on both sides of this issue. Both I have been the out-of-control person, and I have also been with the out-of-control people. And I can tell you with absolute certainty from personal observation and experience that the bottom line is, is that when you drink to excess, the wine controls you. You lose track of how much you've drank, and you keep drinking. Once you hit a point, you just don't. You just keep drinking. There's three things, by the way, that, that, that God has put into our body to stop us from killing ourselves at that point with alcohol poisoning. You either get sick, pass out, or go to an ambulatory blackout, which means you're walking around talking and everything else, but you're, you're, you, you quit drinking. And, and your body, and your body kind of says, okay, well, you can't have another one. And it, and it takes action. People who are addicted to drinking find themselves with an additional problem. Try, their, their day starts to, and I know this also from personal experience, it begins to fit around the idea of my day centers around, oh, at lunchtime, I will go here. It's, you know, a bar and grill, so I'll go for food. Oh, I might have while I'm there. I even start thinking or even planning ahead what I will have when I'm done working. And if it's got real control of me, which in a season of my life it did, I will think about how I can sneak it to work with me. and not have anybody see it or know. So now it's not only controlling me, but it's getting me to the point of manipulation, deception, and a lot of other things. Alcohol, drugs, anything that you're addicted to, really, drives you this way. Paul's saying, basically saying, what's in control? I put it here, what fuels you? <laughs> what gives you your power? What, what empowers you? What is, what is your power source? You know, what, what, what's in control? Um, I don't know how many, how many of you have uh, heard of Steve Cole from Flagstaff Christian Fellowship. 
Uh, you can find him on Monergism and a couple other places uh, with his messages and sermons and stuff. But uh, he, he had a, a picture for this that I thought was interesting. What if you had access to free, readily available, inexhaustible source of clean energy? I thought that was interesting. Clean energy at your disposal. What if he, you know, you had it? But as you looked at it, and you saw it there, and it was there available to you now. It's not something, you know, pie in the sky or, or just, but it, it was there. But rather than use it, you use what you are most familiar with, failing to use that power. You use what you're most familiar with and stay with that. He said that would be like the Christian who does not seek the Holy Spirit for strength, power, uh, and to live and to walk the Christian life. In other words, here's this power that is, as a believer, is made available to us. It is free. It is inexhaustible. It is accessible. It is, uh, it's available. I don't know how many words you want to use to describe it there. And yet, I confess that the majority of the time, I run off in my own strength. There are so many things I do routinely in my life that I don't even think about committing it to the Lord. Now, granted, we, we normally, uh, as, we, as we mature, sometimes very early in our Christian walk, it becomes a habit to commit our day and this type of thing to the Lord, and that's part of the process. And so I'm not suggesting that we, we completely ignore it, but then all of a sudden something happens, boom, right in front of us, and, the, and, and, and our reaction is to react from the flesh, in a sense, either in anger or frustration instead of in the Holy Spirit. That's kind of an indicator that we're still struggling with this. Well, that's part of the dilemma here. And so I wrote down here, there's a dilemma. <laughs> we're commanded to be filled, but we're not the one who does the filling, so somehow we have to work this out. In other words, it's not like I can go, you know, the filling, you know, and this is a bad picture because I've seen people saying it's like filling up the pitcher and, you know, or, or the, the, the one. I, I go to church every Sunday to get my filling, you know, my, the gas, the church is like my gas station, you know. If, if, yeah, what, what does that mean? By the end of uh, uh, Saturday, you're just, you're on low and just ready for refilling. You've used it all up and, you know, that's not the way this stays. We're supposed to be full every, every day. And, and, and seeking to be constantly full. So the gas station's already, whoa. <laughs> the gas station's already in here. Jesus, Jesus in John chapter 7, he says, you know, as he, he was saying, if you drink from me, the third, you know, he'll fill you up to the point where waters come gushing out. He, he's, he's into this. He's, he wants to keep us full. And so I thought, you know, how am I going to explain how this works? So the bottom line is, first off, the Holy Spirit reveals through the, the Word of God how we are to walk, how we are to live for Christ. Uh, one person said there's over 1,500 commandments in the New Testament in reference to our walk with Christ. Okay, things that, that God says, this is a godly way to act. Okay, 
we see the, the ease, though, if you will. You know, here's the way to walk and live in Christ. But, but we see the easy way to walk as we always have. That's, that's the easiest thing to do, the way I've always walked, the way of the flesh, the way of the world. In other words, embedded on, I, I use this term belief window uh, a number of times, but embedded on my belief window is a whole num- number of things of how to meet my basic need. From the time that I was a little kid, certain things that I would do would get a need met, and I would continue that pattern. What are some of the things that little kids do to get their needs met? Oh, come on. You're gonna, you're, there's one you want to jump. They cry. They throw a tantrum. I watched my granddaughter. Nobody's going to give this to Jessica, right? No. Uh, <laughs> I watched my granddaughter the other day throw a fit. I mean, she, she, she went to the floor. She, she, she did it very cautiously, though. She just didn't throw herself on the floor. She, she, because she was on the hardwood floor, she dropped to the side and rolled over onto the floor, just screaming and going, yeah, stop, meaning that, that, I want that, I want that, I want that. And just flicked her up and sat her down on a chair and wait until she's done crying and then, you know, got into talking about what it was that she wanted and, and, uh, you know, when she could have it, and it wasn't then. It, was, it had to be, at that point, it had to be on my terms. Uh, and, uh, you know, she wasn't happy. But, you know, she, she's found that there are other times where that works because you're so frustrated, just be quiet, look, oh, here. Or the level of voice. My mom. Bobby. Bobby, Robert, Robert James Hapgood. Now I knew I had to come. I didn't have to come to Bobby because nothing happened. You see, so we have all these things you know, that start to establish in our relief window. How to establish when somebody is serious? What's the least amount of effort I have to put into something to get what I want? All these things are, are packaged in there. Well, we're supposed to be having our minds renewed, changed in the spirit. The Holy Spirit is working on us. Those things, as they change, we're putting new things in our belief window. I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to respond. When Christ is speaking to me, I want to say, yes, Lord. I don't want to say yes after he's finally screaming at me for it, you know. Uh, I want to respond. I want to, so it's a change of patterns. It's a change of thinking. It requires the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the loosing of the Holy Spirit, if you will, to control us. So the Holy Spirit is in us. He convicts us of sin. He, he brings us to, to grace. He tells us to, to put on Christian ways. He starts by convicting, then renewing us, renewing our mind, the way we think, what we put on our belief window, by creating us uh, in a, a hunger and a thirst. The hunger and thirst for God's righteousness was never an idea in my mind before I was a Christian. It has become an absolute goal of my life as a Christian. I want to know the God who created me. And I want to know him as intimately and completely as possible. That is the desire that I have. I'm, I, 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 I translate that because you know he's beyond anything that I will ever fully comprehend, I think, all the way through eternity. I will be seeing freshness in him. 
I, by the way, I translate that down one level. My wife, who is created in the image of God, I'm on a quest to know her completely. When you decide you want to know someone completely, you accept them with all their, their faults and their, pro their problems and their needs and everything else because that's who they are. That's part of knowing them. That's the way God is work, works on us as well. He accepts us and, and, and change. And she's in the process of being grown into Christ just like I am. You know? And so we're on a path together. And we're desiring they're on a quest. I want, she wants to know me. I want to know her. 44 years into it in the marriage, we're, we're partway there. He creates in us a hunger and a thirst for God. And by the way, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, what shall happen? They shall be what? Filled. Okay. The fact that we are commanded to be filled must mean that we are able to recognize or acknowledge that we are low. Does that make sense? In other words, the fact that we're, you know, you need to be filled must let us know that, oh, well, I, you know, there's a sense of, of understanding. And you know what? It's interesting. All you have to do is stop to think about it. And it becomes immediately obvious the areas that, that you're, you're, you're sagging in, in life in the sense of, of your walk with the Lord. It doesn't take but a, a moments when you give it a serious opportunity, God really wanting to have search. And he reveals to you. And they're, they're, you know, it puts it back into that thing. This is, I need to confess my sin. I need to yield, surrender. Again, backseat. Uh, receive by faith. Feed on God's word. The things that I need to do all require me yielding to the Holy Spirit. Asking for the Holy Spirit to, to open my mind, my heart, my thinking. Every time I approach the, the Bible, I need to ask the Holy Spirit to open my mind. Not just occasionally, or not just Sunday mornings, but every time I approach the Word. In fact, A.W. Tozer said, every time you approach anything you put into your mind, you should have that kind of like a bullet prayer, I call it. Lord, number one, protect me in your righteousness and holy, you know, for your righteousness and holiness. And number two, give me an ability to see with your eyes how this might bless, enrich, or help. And he did that even reading a newspaper. He did it reading Shakespeare. Interesting way. I suppose he didn't agree with television, but I suppose if, if we, we should be putting that, you know, anything that we do. And I, and I wrote down the different things, you know, in the house, in the, in the, in the car, on the freeway, etc. Um, in the process of looking at this, the scripture that uh, was read this morning out of, out of uh, uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3 uh, is a parallel to this in, in Ephesians. And we read a, a far bigger section that I just want to go back to this part of it. Uh, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and a very parallel verse to what followed after being filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your, in your heart. Now, they're the same conclusion. And so you have two kind of parallel things here. The being filled, if you will, with the Holy Spirit, being filled with God's word, kind of go like this. They go hand in hand together. They're locked together. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's a process, an ongoing process of of, of 
how the Holy Spirit works with, with, the, with the Word. The Word works with encouraging us to, to rest in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with H.R. Ironside. He did a number of radio shows back in the years and stuff like that, and a number of commentaries. But one of the things he said, and again, I don't know how much of a mathematician he was. You know how much I'm not. Uh, but but he, he made it this way. He said, there is an old rule in mathematics that, think that, that things equal to the same thing are equal to one another. If to be filled with the Spirit is equal in result to, to being filled with the Word, in other words, the same things happening afterwards, uh, then it should be clear that the Spirit-filled Christian is a Word-filled Christian. Does that make sense? I just I want to make sure because it, it, it rung true for me. I think what he's trying to say again is that they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You re, it requires both of them. It's like having a carriage without a horse. You know, uh, it, 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 you might be able to get it to move a little bit, but but uh, once you put them together, you've got it, it. It's working. It's in concert. The Word of God teaches the believer how to live and why we do it to be holy as God is holy, to give glory to God, to worship God, while the Spirit of God supplies the power to live what the Word says and opens our mind to understand it. That we might be able to give Him glory in all things. It's an ongoing process. One of the verses that I reflect back on frequently at this point is, is Colossians chapter 1. Verses 9 and 10. Paul's writing, he says, From the day we heard about your love, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you, now listen, you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. ongoing picture here. He says that filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This enables us then to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We're able to please him actually as this comes into working in our lives. The result of that, according to this, is we begin to bear fruit in every good work that, that, that is put before us. And as a result, we start increasing in where we started in this prayer, the knowledge of God. The reason why I show you this is that this is a kind of a, an ongoing, I, I used to call it a cycle, but it's more than that. It's a spiral. It's, it's a growing process. You learn this much, and as you apply it, the Holy Spirit working through you and, and in you, and, and you begin to, to, to see how God works things out, and, and you, you start to, for instance, take one particular scripture that you really begin to realize is really true, and that is, is Romans 8, 28, all things work together. How can that be possible when it's something that, that, that started out absolutely wrong and yet a product at the end of it comes out that God, has, that God can bless? Because it's all been surrendered somewhere in the process back to him. Okay? God is, works all things out. And, and you rest in that, and you, and, you, and you see it in your own life, and it starts, and you, you, as you rest in that truth, now resting in other things that God says become you know, part of your life as well. And it grows, it spirals, it builds, it grows out. 
The reason why I wanted you to see this as important is that we grow in our walk with the Lord. Again, uh, an ongoing process. We have uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, along in there, where it talks about the gifts that God has given to the, the church to build us up, to create us to be from babes to mature Christians. So a growing process. When we start as Christians, we say we are babes. At some point along the line, we are starting to mature. Paul uses various figures. Uh, needing milk, now we should be needing meat. This type of thing. So there's a growth process. A spirit-filled Christian is, is one who is growing in understanding and application of God's word. To be filled with the spirit is to be in an ever-dependent relationship with Christ. And as we celebrate Independence Day, that's a conflict for our culture. We are fiercely independent people because of our Constitution. We, we will not submit to a king, this type of thing. We are fiercely independent. We want to say in everything that goes on, and yet that's in contrast when we come before Christ. He is the only one that has a say in what goes on. In fact, he is a monarch. He is a king. And we are to yield to him completely. And it's a growing process as we start applying God's word in our lives. So to be filled with the spirit is to be in an ever-depending circle, if you will, of relationship with Christ. If this was not true, I was wondering if, 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 if at what point, in other words, the, the Holy Spirit being a part of this all the way along the line, it's kind of like we're filled with the Holy Spirit. When, when we grow, do we have more Holy Spirit now because we understand more? Are we more filled than we were here because I'm yielding more? And I, I started becoming mind-boggling because, I, you know, and what I realized was if you started that one, it would be kind of like, at what point are you mature enough to be filled with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> You know, that's not what it says. It just says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, whoever you are, a believer in Christ. And so I thought, you know, Bob, you've got it confused here. Don't think in degrees of filling, but a filling that meets the need of the time in the situation. That's what God's asking for. Be filled according to the situation, time, and place you are with the Holy Spirit. Is there a possibility that you'll understand more, do more, and even serve God greater in some other point in time in your life with the Holy Spirit working into? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that he, you had less Holy Spirit back here. The Holy Spirit for the moment and time that you need. This filling has an impact on everything we do. Chapters 5 and chapter of Ephesians chapter 3 of Colossians goes on to talk about our relationships with our husbands, with our wives, with our children, with our employers, uh, with you know, masters and slaves, you know, employers and employees. It goes on to talk about that. So it impacts every part of our life, being filled with the word, being filled with the spirit. And I wrote here, none of this can be done without being in fellowship with each other. Can't be done unless we're, we're in fellowship with each other. And, it, and it's something broader than, than, and, and bigger than just Sunday morning. The ultimate character trait, being filled as a Christian, I really still believe, is being filled with the love of God to the point where it overflows to other people. We're commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, all our spirit, 
men to what? Love our neighbor as ourselves. And our neighbor includes our enemy, by the way. So we shouldn't have to add that one in there as well. And then he goes on in John chapter 13 to make sure that we got it there. He says, and how you love one another is how the church is going to, the, the world's really going to understand that you are Christian. How you treat each other, talk about each other, and love each other. And I thought as I was looking at this from Matthew 22, uh, John 13, and other scriptures that are talking about, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, talking about the love of God and, and the love of God in us and how it's important it is, and that that is a gift, a picture, a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. In Galatians uh, chapter 5, and I saw here that it's, it's God's character that we're striving for. All of this is God's character that we're striving for. How powerful is his love? Well, it transcends all time because before the foundation of the world, he loved us. He loved us so much, according to Ephesians chapter 5, when it's talking about how husbands are to love their wives, he says, Christ so loved the church that he gave himself up for her. He sacrificed his rights so that the church could be saved. When we start to love each other in a Christ-like manner, we start to love our spouse as a Christ-like manner, it becomes sacrificial. It's not what I deserve what I get, but what I can give, what I can do, and how I can bless. And the biggest picture, always should rest in our heart and our mind with this, is how God revealed it to us. It takes us back to Philippians, for me, chapter 2, where Jesus empties himself into the flesh, becomes a man to the point of the cross to purchase our salvation. For us to rest in that love and then to derive strength from that love to direct our path in our walk and strengthen our resolve to follow Christ requires not only the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. Notice I still haven't talked about any of the gifts. Because if we don't get this, according to Paul, the gifts are meaningless. Ask the ushers to come forward to uh, uh, pass the communion out. And if you would uh, hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.
Jesus set the stage for us to remember his act of love as often as we would come together through the establishment of communion. At the supper he shared on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, told them that this was his body, and he asked them as often as they would eat it to do it in remembrance of him. into the meal, taking the cup of wine, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Purchase the covenant. What he was saying is this, I'm going to die for you to purchase the covenant. This represents to us the words, it is finished. Every time we share it, 
we remember he has done it for us. It's done. It's complete. And we will do this in remembrance of him as he asks until he comes again. Father, again, we thank you. We worship you. We ask, Father, that you would strengthen us, cause us daily to catch glimpses of you in, in, in various situations and, and thoughts and mind, uh, bringing scripture to mind, various things through the day that will remind us to, to say, Lord, you are the God of all creation, our Savior, and I want to be filled with your spirit, walking with you in everything and all things, that, that the reality may become more and more true that everything that I do and everything that I say will be to your glory. We know that's the goal. Lord, help us to continuously strive for that and to encourage one another, not, not by tearing down, but by lifting up and building up uh, to, to be doing the same, coming alongside and ministering and encouraging and sharing uh, that, that we can do it together. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your, your kingdom, a part of the body of Christ. And together we say thank you. We worship you in Jesus' name.